0: Thanks for joining me here on Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I'm your host, Karen Fabian, the founder of Bare Bones Yoga. I'm a yoga teacher with over 15 years of experience, a certified personal trainer, and an entrepreneur. My mission is this, to help you develop into a purpose-driven, confident yoga teacher, one who truly understands anatomy and how to share it clearly and confidently so that you can help your students learn and as a result, grow your impact and connection. On the podcast here, you'll get a blend of both anatomy learning, stories from teachers, interviews with others in the field, and a dose of personal development. Once you listen to today's episode, visit my website at barebonesyoga.com for free resource guides for teachers. Download any and all of them, including one of my most popular tools, my sequence building template. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen today. Let's get into today's episode. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I'm your host, Karen Fabian, and this is episode 134. So I'm recording this on Monday, June 7th, and I am so excited because this coming Wednesday, I am doing a free workshop. And it's about one of my most favorite topics. I'm going to tell you a little bit about that in a moment. I want to start out by welcoming you to the podcast. If you're a new listener, if you're a new subscriber to the podcast on iTunes or Podbean, or maybe you're watching this on YouTube, wherever you're consuming this content, I want to just give you a shout out and say hello and introduce myself. You know, I get emails sometimes from teachers and they say, um, I can't believe I never found your podcast before. It's exactly what I'm looking for. I mean, no joke. And I don't know how you're searching for podcasts, but I'm just really glad that the Google gremlins have connected us. And um, for those of you who have been longtime loyal listeners over the past two and a half, almost three years and 134 episodes, I want to give you a shout out as well. And I want to especially uh, notice the people who listen to episodes all the way to the end. I am a big proponent of doing that. Matter of fact, I can't not listen to any podcast until the end unless it's awful. And I want to give you a shout out if you are also someone who listens to my episodes all the way until the end. So back to my announcement for Wednesday. I wanna invite you to my workshop and I wanna kind of pose a scenario to you to give you a sense of what we're gonna talk about and what you'll gain by attending. I want you to imagine that you're teaching and you have this experience of not being sure how to organize your thoughts. Having this experience of having all these thoughts in your head about what might be appropriate to say and just not being sure of how to organize those thoughts through some sort of outline or something and feeling just this lack of confidence because you know your cues aren't landing well on your students well this is exactly what we're going to be talking about because in my workshop this coming wednesday at 6 p.m eastern time i'm going to cover not only effective queuing as a general topic, but really drill down into what makes up an effective queue. So this is where I get into my own system that I'll be sharing with you about how I uh, categorize cues, and then further, how I've created several different frameworks for queuing. Frameworks, you can think of a framework as the outline I referred to a moment ago. It's a, it's a way that you can organize your thoughts. And I promise you, if you are not organizing your thoughts as a yoga teacher, and you are just saying stuff that comes to mind, that is not very helpful to your students. I want you to imagine if you walked into a room and the lights were off, and you weren't sure where the light switch was, and you were kind of feeling along the wall for where is that light switch? That's what your students experience when you're teaching and you're not really sure how to organize your thoughts. They're there on the mat. you're there in front of the class or online, and you're searching in your head for how to share effectively with your students so that they know what to do. But you're going through this internal editing process and it's all happening so fast that you're feeling out of sorts, and whatever comes out, comes out. And for many teachers, what ends up happening to compensate for that is they're constantly talking. And so what that does for students is it never gives them a moment to connect with their practice, to take a breath and hear it, to really start to connect to those somatic sensations that are part of the practice. And additionally, when you're sharing so, so much, it really gets in the way of the impact those very specific cues can make to really make all the difference in your student's experience. So all of this is what I'm gonna be covering in this workshop on Wednesday. Now I wanna give you an extra incentive if you can make it live. So of course you need to be in a time zone where it makes sense for you. I've gotten emails from people in India that it's 3.30 in the morning there. Obviously, most of them are not going to attend live. However, if 6 o'clock Eastern time is a time that generally you can make, I'm going to give you an extra incentive to show up live. For every person who shows up live to this workshop, I'm going to give you full access to one of my mini courses on anatomy, which normally is priced at $95. I'm going to give it to you for free. Now, if you can't attend live, don't worry, because everybody who registers is going to get my sequence building template. Now this is by far the most downloaded template I've ever created, and it walks you through how to create a yoga sequence with ease. And then additionally at the workshop, I'm going to be raffling off some of my books. I've written several books books on yoga and anatomy, of course. And I'm gonna be raffling off three of those books to anyone who attends live. So there's lots of incentive for you to show up live. And the reason I'm giving you that incentive is because I know showing up live is the best way to get the most out of it. Of course, things come up if you can't show up live, send me an email after the workshop on Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern, and I'll share with you the link. And that'll be good until Sunday, until Sunday at 6 p.m. Eastern. Now, I'm not gonna lie. This information is going to really, really shift your teaching in powerful ways. However, it's probably going to bring up a lot of questions you have about certain aspects of anatomy. But I don't want you to worry because at the end of walking you through the effective cueing framework and types of cues, I'm going to let you know more about my signature program on anatomy. And so you're not gonna be left out in the cold. You're not gonna have your interest peaked. And then I'm gonna just say, okay, good luck, applying this, goodbye. (laughs) I'm going to give you an opportunity to actually take right action and fill in those knowledge gaps so that your cues, especially when they focus on the anatomy, are right on point. And with that, your confidence will soar and your students will really get a ton out of your classes. So to sign up for this workshop, all you need to do is go to my website, barebonesyoga.com. The events page has the link. I'll include the link in the show notes, which you can access if you look up this episode on my website. But if you're going to my website, just go to the events page. The easiest thing though, if you want to sign up is just DM me on Instagram and I'll send you the link. Okay, so let's get started with today's topic. Today's topic is about how muscles work. Of course, I have my handy notes and I thought what I would do today is walk through some concepts about muscles, just so that you can get more familiar with how muscles work and a lot of the terms that are relevant when we're studying muscles in the context of anatomy as yoga teachers. So the first thing is the origin. The origin of a muscle, I kind of think of these days, if you ever hear of someone talk about their origin story, if they started a company, it's basically the story of how the company started. You know, like I was thinking one day of how I needed dog food and I didn't have an opportunity to go out and get it. And I thought, wouldn't it be great if I could hire somebody to go get it? That actually is the origin story for TaskRabbit. I actually know the woman who originally started TaskRabbit, Leah Busk, and uh, that's the origin story for that service. Now, I will say, Leah has since sold the company, I will say, if you ever need someone to not only get you dog food, but help you out with a project, help you with moving, TaskRabbit is great. So shout out to them. They are not a sponsor of the podcast, but I have used them a ton. Anyway, back to a muscle's origin. So the muscle's origin is where it begins, right? The story of how it begins, where it begins on the body. So it's the specific point described in anatomical terms for where the muscle begins. So if, you don't, uh, if you're not watching this, it's okay. For those of you who are watching this on YouTube, I'm gonna to point to the skeleton here. Uh, I want you to imagine a muscle that flexes your hip. So from standing, hip flexion is lifting your leg uh, up towards your belly, lifting your thigh up towards your belly. When you flex your hip, you're using a muscle called the rectus femoris the origin of the rectus femoris is the ASIS or the anterior superior iliac spine. I'm pointing to it right here. If you don't see where I'm pointing to it, you can just put your finger on your hip point and that's essentially where it is. So the origin is where the muscle begins. The insertion then, which logically follows is where the muscle ends. So for the rectus femoris, generally speaking, the insertion is on the knee. So just a little FYI, that means that the rectus femoris crosses two joints, the hip and the knee. So it has two actions, and we'll talk about actions when we're going through this list a little bit. in in a few moments. So the origin is where the muscle begins, the insertion is where the muscle ends. Now the muscle example I just gave you is pretty much a straight line muscle. However, it doesn't matter what the muscle shape is. So if you look at a muscle like the latissimus dorsi, the origin of the latissimus dorsi is a very big origin because it touches on so many points. It pretty much covers the whole sacrum. And this area here is known as the thoracolumbar fascia. Without getting into a lot of that detail, just knowing that it's a big, broad, flat muscle means the origin, if you read the origin in an anatomy book, you're going to see a lot of words. And so this is where sometimes teachers get discouraged and they throw their hands up in the air and they say, see, I can't learn anatomy. But let's frame it or reframe it for our role as yoga teachers. What we're saying as yoga teachers is it's important for us to know generally where the origin and insertion is, absolutely what the primary action is, and I'll talk about that in a moment, and generally where it is in the body. So here, we don't have to get into the nitty gritty of all the points of origin of the lats. We can simply know that it's in this lower back area, especially has a relationship to the sacrum and insertion is on the upper humerus. So it has this broad origin, but it winds up on this one little spot on the humerus, the upper arm. So That's kind of an interesting fact about the latissimus dorsi. Now, origin insertion now you know where a muscle begins where a muscle ends so the next term about muscles that i want you to know is contraction so when we take a look at a muscle under a microscope or even if we look at it in a cadaver which i've which i've actually had the honor to go to a cadaver lab and work with a donor and Dissect uh, a donor and it was an amazing, amazing experience full of lots of learning and emotions. Um, When you talk about a muscle contraction you're talking about the movement of the muscle fibers. Now, if you've never seen a muscle in a human body, you can think of fibers as what you might see when you cut into a steak and you can see the striations on the steak. This is similar to what you see in the human being. And so the muscle fibers are doing different things to create different kinds of contractions, which I'll go over in a moment. For right now, just keep in mind that the action of a muscle is a contraction of sorts. And then it's a matter of, well, what kind of contraction is it? And a contraction of a muscle really is a shout out to the fibers and the movement of the fibers with respect to one another, whether they're moving closer together or moving further apart. So that kind of gets you generally up to date on muscle uh, contractions. So the next logical topic is, well, what kinds of contractions are there? So the general type of contraction that I think most people are familiar with is the concentric contraction. Even if you don't know that term, you've probably asked your students to engage a muscle. So if I'm in warrior one and you ask me to engage the muscles of my back thigh, I'm probably as a student going to hear the word engage and I'm going to squeeze the muscles in my back thigh. I may not know what muscles are there and I may not actually know why you're asking me to do that unless you tell me more on that later. Uh, But generally speaking, from a conversational standpoint, the word engage really is a shout out to this concept of muscles contracting. And it's really a shout out to a specific kind of contraction known as the concentric contraction. The concentric contraction is where the muscle fibers come closer together at a particular junction. And I won't go into all of the chemistry behind that as well as the anatomy per se, Suffice it to say that the muscle fibers do come closer together, they shorten. And so the muscle does its primary job. So in the case of the rectus femoris we talked about earlier, the primary job for the most part, if you're looking at the fact that it crosses the hip, is hip flexion. If you're looking at the rectus femoris and its primary function as part of the quadriceps, it's primary action is to extend the knee. So in that example, that's a, a, a muscle that crosses two joints. So, it has two primary functions. I think for here and this point in our review, the important thing to keep in mind is that a concentric contraction is where the muscle fibers shorten and the muscle is doing, performing its primary role. Another really simple example that I'm sure you can relate to is if you're lifting a barbell, you're flexing your elbow and your bicep is concentrically contracting to help you do that. So the next type of contraction is the um, eccentric contraction. This is sometimes also known as eccentric lengthening, or I've never really heard eccentric lengthening contraction. The idea is that an eccentric contraction is one where the fibers are not in fact coming closer together, they're actually moving apart. And an an eccentric contraction is a sort of allowing that works in a coordinated way with a muscle that's concentrically contracting. So it's difficult to oftentimes look at eccentric contractions in isolation. It's sometimes easier to understand them in the context of how they show up in certain muscles when neighboring muscles are doing different things. So for instance, as I go back to the example I gave you before and pick up that barbell and flex my elbow, my bicep is concentrically contracting. My triceps is eccentrically lengthening because its role primarily is to extend my elbow, to straighten my arm. However, as I bend my arm, the tricep has to relax enough to allow the bicep to do its job. And so in that example, my triceps are eccentrically lengthening, and my bicep is concentrically contracting. So that's an example and what eccentric contractions are. The next type of contraction is an isometric contraction. So an isometric contraction is where there's no movement The muscle is holding the body part steady. So if I'm holding my arms out in warrior two, I have several muscles, including the deltoid and the supraspinatus, which is part of the rotator cuff, which you find up on the top aspect of the shoulder joint. They are working isometrically to keep my arms out there in space. So that's an isometric contraction. And then the last thing that comes up is this idea of passive lengthening. And passive lengthening is less active from a contractile standpoint. However, there is still some support of the joint happening, but not as much as if I were doing some kind of dynamic movement or a posture where I had a lot more engaging of the muscles. So you can think of passive lengthening in some of the restorative poses that you might do, as well as if you're doing any kind of yin practice, you can think of passive lengthening in that context as well. I'm actually just gonna get a sip of water here. And I don't typically bring water, but I'm really glad I did. All right, so the next thing is muscle fibers. So I referred to those a moment ago, and this is just a callback to um, what comprises a muscle. So there's lots of different terms that go along with what comprises a muscle because we don't just have fibers indiscriminately in an unorganized way in our muscles. They are bundled up. And I don't want to get into all the different layers. Suffice it to say for this conversation, there are fibers that comprise a muscle. So that's the takeaway for this conversation. The next topic or um, term is tendon. A tendon is a connective tissue structure that connects muscle to bone. Muscle to bone. So a tendon that you sometimes hear about a lot in yoga practices, someone might say, oh, I have soreness at the tendon of my hamstring. And so if you're watching this on YouTube, here I am pointing to the ischial tuberosity. The ischial tuberosity is known as your sitting bone, and that's the origin of the hamstring complex, which is three individual muscles that comprise the hamstring complex. The connection between the hamstrings and the sitting bone or ischial tuberosity, please don't call them sits bones, that's not a term, is the tendon. And so sometimes people will complain of some discomfort there and it can be an irritation of the tendon versus the actual muscle. The next term that goes along usually with conversations about tendons are ligaments. Ligaments are also connective tissue structures. They don't connect muscle to bone. They connect bone to bone. So you see a lot of that when we look at the structure of the knee where we're having a connection between the femur and the tibia and the fibula uh, or the femur and the tibia in terms of the lateral collateral ligaments that are on the uh, lateral aspect and medial aspect of the knee that connect the tibia and the femur. And so these are, again, connective tissue structures. So for us as yoga teachers, we wanna keep an eye on people who are passively stretching and probably going beyond the range of motion that their joints have because ligaments that overstretch typically don't go back to their starting point and they are part of supporting joints and giving the joint not only um, congruency with the other bone that comprises it, but keeping stability in the body where we need it. So that's an important thing to keep in mind as yoga teachers around ligaments. Okay, so now that we've talked about general terms about muscles, we're now gonna talk about different things that relate to how muscles um, act in different scenarios. And I want you to keep in mind, none of these terms are really always attached to a particular muscle. You can think of it like a role in a play. You know, I could play a role in a play, but I could play other roles, and it would really depend on what role I'm playing at a particular time. And so, for instance, in your body, let's take the trapezius, which is on the posterior aspect of the of the body and it has a upper and a middle and a lower the trapezius can act the role it can play is as a doer muscle and it can also act as a muscle that's allowing so the roles are very fluid depending on what muscle you're looking at and this is important because for us as yoga teachers when we look at a particular yoga pose and we ask the question what kind of cue can i use here that brings up the anatomy We have to go back and look at what are the joint movements and what are the muscles concentrically contracting to create those joint movements. We might even say what muscles are eccentrically lengthening to help that pose happen. But we always have to be able to identify what muscles are concentrically contracting to to know who the doers are. That whole conversation, though, will be relevant just for that one pose. When you move on to the next pose, you would have a whole different set, most likely, of muscles acting as the doers. So let me give you some examples here of some of these terms. So when I say doer, another term for that is the agonist. So the muscle that is doing the joint action is the agonist. So back to our original example, if I flex my elbow, the muscle acting as the agonist, the muscle doing the work of flexing the elbow is the biceps. If I straighten my arm, The muscle straightening my arm is the triceps. So now that's the doer. And so you can begin to see how, depending on what the joint action is, you're going to have different doers, different agonists. If I'm doing wheel pose or camel pose or bridge pose and coming into spinal extension, my erector spinae muscles, which align my spine, are going to be acting as the agonist. So the opposite of the agonist is the antagonist. And the antagonist is the muscle that's allowing or would do the opposite thing if you let it. So back to our original example, if I bend my elbow, if I flex my elbow and bend my arm, the bicep is the agonist and the triceps is the antagonist. If I straighten my arm, the triceps is the agonist and the bicep is the antagonist. So you can see here how there's this relationship between muscle pairs. One is allowing while one is doing, and then the thing flips, the paradigm flips when the motion flips. So if I flex my hip, my psoas is the doer, my gluteus maximus is the allower. If I extend my hip, the glute max is the is the doer, and the psoas is the allower. If I fold forward, the rectus abdominis is the doer, and the spinal extensors or erector spinae is the allower. If I stand up and do a standing back bend, the spinal extensors are the agonist and the rectus abdominis is the antagonist. And that's an exact reason why you wouldn't wanna ask somebody in upward dog to contract their core because if you're asking them to come into up dog, their rectus abdominis is lengthening. If you say contract your core in up dog, they're going to begin to flex their hip. They're going to begin to pull the belly button in because now you're speaking to the antagonist instead of speaking to the agonist. The next term is synergist. So when you think of something happening in synergy, what does that conjure up for you image-wise? Well, synergy basically means things are working together. And so this is exactly what this term means in the context of the human body. When muscles work together, they are known as synergists. A really good example of this, if you're watching this on YouTube, I'm pointing to the back of the hip where the gluteus maximus is, and then below that is the hamstring complex. So the gluteus maximus and the hamstrings work as synergists to extend the hip. The psoas and the rectus femoris work as synergists to flex the hip. Um, Let me think of another example. The triceps and the latissimus dorsi work as synergists to extend the shoulders. The deltoid, the middle deltoid and the supraspinatus, which is part of the rotator cuff, work as synergists to abduct the shoulder joint. So think of synergists as muscles that work together. The last concept I wanna bring up is known as reciprocal inhibition. So basically it's the nervous system's job of inhibiting the antagonist so the agonist can do its work. And this relates to what we talked about earlier. When you bend your arm, the nervous system is allowing you to bend your arm because it's communicating with the triceps to relax So the biceps can concentrically contract, thus bending the elbow. So it's that beautiful synergy or beautiful coordination between the central nervous system and your muscles to create smooth joint movement. And if you've ever known anyone who's had cerebral palsy um, or even has been taking some kind of medication that's affecting their central nervous system and you notice they have very abrupt joint movement or they move their limbs in this very kind of jerky uncoordinated way they can't control it and that is essentially one of the signs of not having that smooth coordinated movement that we take for granted so that's what reciprocal inhibition is so i want to wrap this up by doing a quick piece on how you can apply all of this to your teaching So one way you can apply all this to your teaching is you can refer to the agonist in your anatomy-based cue. And this is one of the techniques I'm specifically going to address when I do my workshop on Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern. So please, please show up for a lot of examples on this. This idea that you could refer to the agonist gives your students a chance to understand in a particular pose what's helping them do the posture. So a simple example of that, and one that people can probably relate to, is if you're having people lay on their back with their feet in the air and you're having them do abdominal crunches, you could refer to the rectus abdominis as the primary muscle of spinal flexion there. If you have someone in warrior one and you ask them to squeeze the back thigh, you could refer to the quadriceps as the Agnes there. Now, I'm not gonna go into that too much more. Come to the workshop on Wednesday to find out a lot more about how this particular type of cue fits into a framework so that you don't overwhelm your students with a lot of anatomy. However, this is how you start to share the anatomy with your students. And this can be really, really powerful because, for instance, in something like Down Dog, if you're asking people to roll the inner eyes of the elbows forward, How much more impactful would it be for your students if they understood where the muscles are that actually do that? And there's definitely a way that you can share this information without sounding like a smarty pants and without overwhelming your students with a bunch of anatomy jargon. It will transform their practice and it will give you confidence in leaps and bounds. Um, The next way that you can apply all this to your teaching is you can point out how in certain poses, who the agonist and the antagonists are and what roles they're playing in that pose. So for instance, you could have somebody in cactus arms and you could be speaking to the muscles in your back that squeeze the shoulder blades together and the muscles in the front that allow that to happen. So that's one simple example. And that's just a way that you could blend in an awareness on the student's part Beyond just some of that yoga jargon stuff that everybody says about open your heart, you know, yeah, open your heart. But how much more powerful would it be for your students to understand when I'm in something like up dog, I'm strengthening the muscles in the back that then result in the lengthening of the muscles in the front. And hey, if you want to even add in muscle names, you can start to talk about the rhomboids and the pectoralis major and minor. Then you can start to apply it to activities of daily living and talk about how this is really one of the challenges of hunching over our desks all the time we're stretching out the muscles in our back so much so this is a great way to straighten them right so you can see how all this fits together the next thing you can do in certain poses is you could refer to the synergists so remember synergists are muscles that work collaboratively to create a particular joint action. A really um, common pair that I referred to a couple of minutes ago is the glute max and the hamstrings. And so for instance, if you have somebody coming into bridge pose, you could ask them to contract around their sitting bones to activate the glute max. And you could also add in that the hamstrings are helping them in this hip extension movement as well. There are lots of other examples there. Again, I'll go into more of them in the workshop. The other thing, just in wrapping up that I want to mention though, is that sometimes when you have muscles that work in pairs, one muscle overtakes the other muscle and that's not a healthy scenario for sure. And so that's the kind of thing where, for instance, when we sit a lot, the gluteus maximus is in passive stretch. And so then when we want to use it, the hamstrings have to overtake or hamstrings do overtake glute max oftentimes because glute max is too weak from being passively stretched all the time, which happens as a result of excessive sitting. So that's just another thing about how muscles work and something to keep in mind, the way to be kind of clued into this happening is sometimes your students will explain to you they're having certain uncomfortable sensations during their practice, or you may also see alignment issues that give you a particular clue that something is awry. And the more you understand about how muscles work, the more you'll be able to start to create mini sequences for people to help them use not only myofascial release to calm muscles that are overactive, but then certain postures and short sequences that will help them strengthen the muscles that need to strengthen so that they can bring their body back to kind of that bare bones basic alignment, which we know as anatomical position. So I hope you've enjoyed this episode. I've really loved sharing this kind of thing. I think going into this level of detail is really important for yoga teachers. However, with all things, when it comes to studying anatomy as a yoga teacher, it's really important that you don't get too far into the weeds. And in order to do that, you need to know, well, how far do I need to go? And I know a lot of you are out there buying books on your own, watching YouTube on your own, you know, trying to kind of figure everything out on your own. And inevitably what happens when you do that is you go down these rabbit holes and then you start to get confused. And all that does is reinforce your feeling that you might have, or at least this is what I hear from a lot of yoga teachers, I can't learn anatomy. And so this is again why it's so important to be able to follow a system to understand anatomy. A system walks you through just the things you need to know as well as how to apply it to your teaching. Hello, knowledge without information about applying it is really not very helpful. You need to have a way to organize the information. And all of that is what my program, the Blueprint Learning Program does for you. It does all of that organization for you. It does all of that calling through the information for you so you're just following the steps you need to follow so that you can understand anatomy and share it confidently and correctly with your students. So again, in wrapping up, I'll just remind you that at the end of the workshop on Wednesday, I'm going to be sharing with you exactly how you can enroll in this amazing program with amazing testimonials from teachers just like you, who weren't really sure that they could learn anatomy. However, by graduation from the program, they were not only sharing it confidently, but they really had transformed their relationship to this subject that they really didn't think they could learn. So I hope to see you on Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern time. DM me for the link or take a look at my website events page, barebonesyoga.com. You'll see the link there and you can register. And I can't wait to see you. Thank you so much for listening today. I really, really appreciate your time. A special shout out to anyone still listening all the way to the end. I see you. (laughs) And I can't wait to do the next episode for you. Any suggestions about topics, please send me a DM on Instagram. Have a wonderful week. I'll see you on the next episode. Namaste. Thank you so much for listening to Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I am your host, Karen Fabian, and I just wanna remind you, if you would like to get on the wait list for my two premier programs, the Blueprint Learning Program, and my Mentorship Program, all you need to do is visit my website, barebonesyoga.com, and the links to get on the wait list for both of these programs are right on the homepage. Thanks for listening and see you on the next episode.